Okay, I'm going to read the Bible for us. I'm reading in Mark 15. I'm going to start at verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is God's word. I'll just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that gives life. I pray that we would hear um, from you this morning. Would you open our ears and open our hearts to see marvellous truths and love and wonder in your word. Um, Thank you for this Easter Sunday morning where we remember that you are the Son of God, that you rose up from the dead for us in love. Amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. My name's Pete. Uh, it's my joy to be able to preach today. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, different people do Easter in, in different ways, and we don't always do an Easter egg hunt, but a couple of years ago, three years ago in COVID lockdown, we were looking for any and all activities, and so we decided to do a pretty big Easter egg hunt after the online service that year. It was my job to set up the hunt, and we had bought the big fancy eggs that year, and I divided them into four colours corresponding to our kids. So the youngest child, who was one at the time, got the bright pink eggs, which were placed in like the middle of the lawn. The, the next oldest child got the, the orangey yellow ones, and they were hidden in more difficult spots. Then we had the blue eggs. They were hidden quite in quite hard ways. And then we had the camouflage green eggs, which were hidden in very difficult spots. And I, my thought was it would probably take them all about the equal amount of time to find all of their eggs. Anyway, the, the hunt went well, lasted probably about two minutes. And, and we, we got back and we all counted our eggs. But the eldest child, she had one less than everyone else, as one that hadn't been found. And so this is great because this extended the hunt. Uh, we all went and tried to find this egg, but we could not find it. We were searching for ages, really hot day, and we were looking for this egg for ages and ages. We were looking so long that the youngest child had just sort of sat herself by the stash of all the other eggs, which were melting by this time, and just started trying to eat them through the, the foil. Um, but we didn't find that egg. Now, how long, kids, how long do you reckon, it was a pretty big egg, good chocolate, how long do you reckon you would keep looking before you gave up on that egg? Bennett, what do you reckon? <laughs> that doesn't totally surprise me. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually, we, we just couldn't find it. We abandoned it. Now, the reason I tell that story is we are going through difficult sayings of Jesus at the moment. And today we have a really difficult saying. When Jesus was on the cross, 
he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a difficult saying because it, it raises the question, did God the Father forsake Jesus? Did he forsake his son? We use that word forsake there. That doesn't just mean abandon. That really means abandon someone in need. Was Jesus abandoned on the cross? Was he forsaken in need? Uh, but it, if we think of that question for Jesus, then it raises some pretty penetra- penetrating and difficult questions for us. Because does God potentially forsake us? Would he forsake us? Many here are, are probably asking that question. That's a question you might have. You might feel there's some sort of distance between you and God. And you sometimes wonder, has God sort of given up on me? Am I too far away? Am I too far gone? Has God forsaken me? And there's another related question that I think we also need to ask when we're thinking through this. Has God, oh sorry, have you forsaken God? Now today we're going to look through these three questions as we go through this passage. Did God the Father forsake Jesus? Has God forsaken you? And have you forsaken God? Now I've got to, got to be up front. This is probably more of a Good Friday message than an Easter Sunday sort of message. So in about the last sentence of the sermon, uh, we will get the sort of really good news that Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to sit for a little while in Jesus' crucifixion here though. So let's start with, did the Father forsake Jesus? Now, if you read the accounts in the, in the Gospels, the four Gospels in the Bible uh, that Jesus' friends wrote of what happened in his life, we can see that the last 24 hours of Jesus' life were pretty horrific. Right? In that 24 hours, he was betrayed by his friend Jesus. He was condemned by the religious leaders. He was wrongly convicted by Roman justice. He was shamed by the soldiers. He was mocked by his own people. He was abandoned by his friends. In fact, his best mate, Peter, denied he even knew Jesus. But then when he's hanging there, suffering on the cross, is he forsaken by his father? Now, there's a couple of things in the passage that would lead us to to answer yes, he was. Uh, The first one in in verse 34, Jesus' own words. Uh, The ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now notice the language that's used there. It's not, have you forsaken me? Are you forsaking me? Um, But why have you? Right? It's a claim Jesus makes. The second thing, we see this in the, the following verses, is that there was no rescue. Uh, Elijah didn't come. Now you might notice in verses 35 and, and 36 that it's like they, they start asking questions, is Elijah going to come? The reason they, they ask this and they're thinking about Elijah at this time is twofold. Firstly, you, you might have noticed that in the Aramaic, which was quoted in the earlier vo- verse, um, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eli, which, se- which sounds very similar to Elijah. So they thought he was crying out for Elijah there. But also... There were prophecies, many prophecies in the Old Testament that before um, God's Saviour would come, that an Elijah figure would come. Uh, So even the Old Testament ends in Malachi uh, with with Elijah will come to to make straight the the paths uh, for for God's Saviour. 
So they're expecting Elijah. And Elijah had actually, he, he had been taken up by a chariot into heaven. So you can imagine they thought it'd be pretty fitting if Jesus is there on the cross, a chariot comes and takes him up into heaven. But the reality is Elijah didn't come. And we know this because in the very next verse, verse 37, we're told that he breathed his last. It says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Did the Father forsake Jesus on the cross? Well, that's what Jesus seems to be saying. There was no rescue. And Jesus died. On the cross, he took the punishment that God said that sin deserved. Death. Now, this raises a pretty penetrating question. If Jesus is forsaken on the cross, then what about us? If if Jesus is the the perfect, righteous son of God, um, what about you and I? This is our second question. Has God forsaken you? This might be a question that you ask in, in, in deep moments when there's pain or suffering in your life, when you see it in the world around you. You might cry out, well, God, have you forsaken us? Have you forsaken me? When God is silent in those sleepless nights, does, does sometimes does that question... Do you ask that? Do you wonder, God, do you love me? Do you care? Have you forsaken me? Well, if we go back to our passage and look under the surface, I think we'll see that he hasn't. Right? Jesus there, when he quotes those words, when he, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting from what we call Psalm 22. Right, that's the first line of, of Psalm 22. Now, back then, and we still do this today with songs, they didn't know the Psalms or, or call them by their Psalm number, just like we don't call Amazing Grace, like Song 52 on the Greatest Hits list or something. Uh, they're known by the, the first line. Right? So, so when, he, when he cries that out, uh, he's referring to the whole of the Psalm. Not just that first line. Now, there's been some commentators that say, oh, you know, Jesus, he knew the Psalms. If he was quoting the whole Psalm, he would have said the whole Psalm. But really, he, if, you, if you look at what he says on the cross, he uses his words very sparingly. And the reason is, quite simply, he's been six hours into the crucifixion. He's hanging there on the cross to breathe. He is pulling himself up on his hands and feet that have nails through them so he's there in agony and he cries out the start of this psalm i think he's inviting us to to read and to think about the whole of the psalm and let let me just go to psalm 22 and and read you out a couple of verses that we we see in psalm 22 feel free if you've got your bibles there we'd really encourage you to to open them up and, and follow follow along as i read these verses out so as I said, Jesus quotes from the first verse. But if you look down verse uh, 7 uh, of Psalm 22, it says, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Is that not so similar to, to what happens when the religious leaders are, are mocking Jesus? 
and and crying out that they should save himself. Uh, down in in verse uh, verse sixteen. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, this psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion, before crucifixion had been invented. And yet in this psalm, it talks about having hands and feet pierced. It goes on the following verse, I can count my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Again, we see all of this happening in the, the crucifixion account. The, the soldiers had, had divided Jesus' clothes and because his cloak was, was in one piece, they'd, they cast lot, lots to see who would get that. Jesus, in quoting the first line, is pointing us at this whole psalm and showing us that, that he is living out this whole psalm on the cross, which is good news because it goes on to say in verse 25, for he has not despised... Or aboard the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Right? The Father hears Jesus' cries on the cross. Remember what Jesus cries? He cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them. Right? We're told in Psalm 22 uh, that, that God hears his cries, the cries of the afflicted one. Uh, I could look to more verses, but let me just read these verses, 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This psalm, which so wonderfully, amazingly, describes the, the crucifixion, promises that God the Father is going to hear Jesus cry on the cross for forgiveness. Um, Jesus there on the cross is forsaken so that we might be forgiven. And this is for all the nations. And this is really wonderfully and beautifully confirmed with what happens next um, in Mark's account. Because we're, we're told... We're told um, actually, let me before I go to that, um, let, let me refer to the Elijah part. So... Um, it, Elijah hasn't come uh, on the cross to, to rescue Jesus in the, the chariots. But that's because Elijah had already come. come. Jesus himself had, had said that John the Baptist was the Elijah who was making straight the paths. Now, what did John the Baptist do? Well, he was, he was eating honey and locusts and baptising people. And remember when Jesus came and John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says... There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist points to Jesus and says that he is the, the, the sacrifice. The Lamb of, of God is the sacrifice for sins once for all upon the cross. John the Baptist is the Elijah who prepared the way for the perfect sacrifice Right, for Jesus, who was forsaken on the cross, who bore the punishment and the wrath of God that our sins deserved, to be the perfect righteous sacrifice to save us from our sins. And we know this because in verse 38, it tells us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, kids, if, 
if you're there and your your mum and dad near, you're probably better to find your dad because most likely he's got a bigger hand. The curtain in the temple is as wide as a man's palm. Right, that's how thick the curtain was. Right, it's, it's like this impenetrable sort of barrier um, between God's presence in the holy of holies and where the people would come. And that that curtain sort of represented God being among his people but because of our sin there needed to be a a separation between God and people. Notice when Jesus, the the Lamb of God, the perfect righteous sacrifice dies, that temple is torn, couldn't be done by human hands, is torn from top to bottom, opening a way between God and his people means there's no longer a barrier that our sins has caused. Uh, but because of Christ's sacrifice, we can be in his presence. And, and this is confirmed by, by what happens next in, in Mark's account. Uh, we see next the, the centurion um, who stood facing Jesus. He saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. What's... Amazing about this is a centurion would have seen heaps of people die as a Roman soldier. Um, He's seen something about the manner of Jesus' crucifixion and death that has just astounded him. But what's even more astounding is that he is a Gentile. He's a a Roman. And yet the, the temple of the curtain has just been torn in two. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, has just died. And now the first one to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God is a Gentile. Someone from the nations. It's, it's incredible. And it, it shows us so wonderfully that God has not forsaken you. Because Jesus, forsaken on the cross, offers us forgiveness. It wasn't nails that held him there. It was love. The infinite God taking the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins so that we can receive his righteousness for all eternity. So let's now consider our third question. If Jesus has been forsaken so that we can be forgiven, means God has not forsaken you and I. He has done everything to show us his love and compassion. Let's ask the question, have you forsaken God? Often, uh, we, we often holiday up the at Caloundra, we holiday at Moffat Beach. Now, Moffat Beach is sort of famous for its its currents, and we swim there because um, we're too lazy to walk to a safer swimming spot. Um, but it's uh, it, quite often if the the kids are on bodyboards and, and stuff, uh, what I've found is I, I can be there, sort of standing, and they drift away really quickly, um, and. Generally, they can swim okay. It's it's fine, um, but often they'll sort of like sort of look up after not very long, and they'll be like, "Dad, why are you so far away?" 
And generally they're, they're sort of a bit worried at this point, so I don't say the obvious, but what I'm thinking is, look, it's not me who's far away, kid. I'm staying right where I was. You guys have drifted far away. And I think we sort of do this, the same thing with, with God our Father. Uh, we, we suddenly look up and for whatever reason we find that we've, we've drifted. We're, we're far away from God and we sort of go, hey, God, how come you're so far away uh, when it's actually that we've been drifting along in the, the cultural currents that have been taking us far from God? We're quick to point the finger at God and, and, and saying that he's abandoned us, but let's point the finger at ourselves and, and wonder, have, have, you, have you and I forsaken God? Because the Bible consistently tells the story of us, humanity, forsaking God. Happened right at the start in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve disobeyed God's good word and, and forsook him and ate the, the fruit. It happened in another garden when Jesus' followers fell asleep when he asked them to pray. Uh, consistently through the Bible, uh, humanity forsaken God. I've just got a couple of verses. Um, one from Jeremiah. Uh, it says there, If my people have committed two evils, so firstly they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and secondly they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, Broken cisterns that can hold no water. I reckon if you think of, of your life, is that true of you? There are times where you have forsaken God and, and gone after other things. Um, you've tried to, to sort of dig out um, something, um, chased after to something uh, that is not of God, that honestly rather than drinking the living water that is God's truth and goodness, uh, you're really just feeding yourself the, the sand of a broken system. Right, another passage, Judges 10, uh, says there, uh, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the times of your distress. There's a, a warning in that passage. Um, that as we go and chase after other things, uh, that, that ultimately God will give us the freedom that we ask for. So have you forsaken God? The Bible answers for us that yes, each and every one of us has turned our own way. We've rebelled against him, we've rejected him. Now, maybe you're sitting here and, and you don't care. Uh, that's, that's possible. In fact, that would be really common in our, our world right now. Uh, you, you enjoy the freedom to, to do what you want to do. I uh, figure that, that your ways are right, that the systems that you are digging for yourself are better than, than what God says is good and right in his word. But like the w warning in those passages, uh, eventually God will give you what you want. And if you're forsaking him, eventually he will let you go. Uh, if, that's, if that is you, I, I just invite you. Maybe there's something in, as we've looked at the Bible uh, today, uh, as a thought about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Maybe there's something that just triggered something in you to, to explore further. 
we run a three-week three course starting next Sunday after church. Just would invite you to, to consider coming along to that and exploring a little more of what the Bible has to say about this. And I just want to go back to the story I shared at the beginning of that Easter egg. And I love it, Bennett, that you would have searched for the Easter egg for a million years. Well, I was talking to my oldest daughter about it and I generally check in with my kids before I share a story about them in the sermons. And, and she said it was fine to share, but we, as we we're talking about it, she's like, you know, Dad, I still sometimes when I'm in the backyard, I have a bit of a look around for that Easter egg. <laughs> it's only three years old. It's probably still pretty good. <laughs> but, but that is God. Know that God has not forsaken you. And no matter how far you think that you have drifted or how far you have gone, that he has open arms, the open arms that Jesus has on the cross were his love for you and he wants you to receive that love and return to him and trust him. I want to speak to to those as well that you, you just feel like you are drifting a little in life. You're feeling pretty distant or God's feeling distant to you. When you, you look up and you realise you, you might be far from where you thought you might be, um, like my kids drifting in the, the ocean, that can be a, a pretty scary thing. Now, our immediate reaction then is to, to try and swim and to get back. But the reality is that the current is one that we, we can't overpower. We can't swim back to God in our own strength. That's the, the whole point of the, the Easter message. It's that what we couldn't do, Christ has done for us. He has lived the, the life that, that we were called to live and he has died the death that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve on the cross, which means just as he says, Father, forgive them. We're invited to turn from, from our drifted ways and receive his forgiveness. He was forsaken so that you can be forgiven. Will you receive that forgiveness? Easter shows us the loving sacrifice of Jesus for us on the cross and I said I'd get here eventually but Easter also shows us the life that is promised in Jesus name Easter shows us that Jesus had power over sin and death and rose again to new life so not only can we trust that Jesus loves us because he died for us on the cross not only can we trust that he won't forsake us because he has shown that he forgives us we can trust that we have life and eternal life in his name because he has shown that he has power over death by rising again. Now we're going to share a really special meal together. I just thought to, to share it together, I just wanted to sort of summarise the, the points of the, the message to prepare us to, to come to the table. And the first thing I want to say is that this special meal, we call this communion or the Lord's Supper. It is a meal that shows that on the cross that Jesus was forsaken. 
that he received the full punishment that sins deserve. His body was broken. His blood was shed. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus and it was exhausted, was fully dealt with on the cross. He was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. This meal also shows us that Jesus, that God hasn't forsaken us. Jesus offered it to his disciples and all followers of Jesus are invited to partake in it to receive the forgiveness that he offers, to partake in his body and blood, his sacrifice in our sake, knowing that we can enter into the presence of God because that curtain has been ripped into. So I want to invite you to admit, to repent that you have forsaken God, that you have sinned, that you have turned from him. But come and receive this meal knowing that he has forgiven you, that this represents his love and forgiveness which is available to all through his work on the cross. Now, Cross Community Church, we, we invite all who believe and accept um, that Jesus has died for our sins and risen to new life um, to, to come and partake in, in communion with us. Uh, we prepare our youth and children for that. So, so youth or children, if you've been admitted um, to communicant membership, you're invited to come as well, or you do so in your, your own church. Um, but I'm going to pray now um, as we prepare our hearts. The, the elders will come and help serve. And I just invite you... Um, come down either aisle. I want to invite you. We've got sort of bigger pieces of bread and, and juice today. Uh, take them back to your seats with you. Um, think about what Jesus has done for your forgiveness as you do. Um, take them back and I'll lead us together in a time of eating and drinking together. So let me pray. Father, we are so thankful uh, that you have showing your love incredibly. The plan that you had before the foundation of the world, that, that Jesus would save a people um, by taking the, the punishment that our sins deserve. Uh, we are so thankful for the love that is expressed in this simple meal, that Jesus laid down his life for our sake. And Father, now as we come to, to this table... Lord, we repent. We are sorry that in thought, in word and deed, we have not loved you and others as ourselves. We are thankful that no matter how far we drift or what we have done, that we can come and receive your forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that we would do that now knowing that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are invited and welcomed into your holy presence forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.